So our third story this morning all have to do with um, some form of table fellowship, some sort of gathering that Jesus is invited to, Jesus is attending, um, or that he's telling a story about. And uh, we get to a real familiar story for you all, and it's the parable parable of the prodigal uh, son. You could call it the parable as Helmetilica did, the parable of the waiting father. You could um, call it uh, the parable of the unforgiving son. All three would be reasonable statements, and all three would be helpful. Hear God's word. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So the boy set off, went to his father, and while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine uh, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. And he replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave, have given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. And when the son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because his, this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. I love the turn of the phrase, this son of yours accuses the uh, older brother. 
And then later the father goes, this brother of yours has returned. Pray with me. God, may we never be so much hardened in our hearts that there's not room even for those who have wronged us. That there is always room at your table for us together. Amen. First of three stories, Levi. Uh, Levi, we believe, later becomes Matthew. At least that's the same name and um, same occupation that he had. Um, Levi is an unsavory host. He's the kind of host that most good Jews would say, thanks but no thanks. He was an enemy of the people. He was a tax collector. He was in league with the occupiers of Israel. He was in the pocket of the Roman government. He was a grifter, skimming money off the top for his own use. Jesus calls Levi to follow him. And Levi does. It's one of the striking moments in the gospel, isn't it? Where um, Jesus asks and people do something right away. And oftentimes we find it with the disciples. We find it with Peter. Peter, uh, follow me. And they leave their nets and follow him. Simon does. And now we have Levi who has said, you know, Come follow me. And, and he does. And in response to his following, Levi decides to throw a party, a banquet, it says in our text. And he invites Jesus. Now, I'm not so sure Levi would have invited Jesus otherwise. Levi would have known his place and Jesus' place, and the two would not have mixed the righteous and the unrighteous, the faithful and the unfaithful. And believe me, Levi knew he was unfaithful. He was reminded daily. The self-proclaimed righteous and religious crowd begins to object when they see what Jesus is doing. They object to Jesus eating with unsavory people. People who ought not to be at the table with them in their mind. So what does Jesus do? Well, there's an invitation for Jesus to follow. An invitation for Levi, so he does. And the question to you and to me, maybe in this part of the text, would be this. How many times has Jesus asked you to follow and you've said no? How many times has Jesus asked you to do something? Jesus has pricked your conscience and said, you know what, I ought to do that. Or that person's in need, I should act. And you blow it off. How many times? Once? Well, if you're lying to me, then that's another problem that we have to think about. And then twice, just I can, I can tell you all the times on a weekly basis that I'm asked to do something 
courageous and self-sacrificing uh, or just a little bit nice, and I say no. And Jesus is right there pricking my conscience, just saying, Craig, come on. Levi does it. He follows. And then Jesus, Levi returns the favor and invites Jesus. And Jesus' surprise is a yes. It's, it's what I've talked about in the past and I want to remind you of. It's what you might call reverse hospitality. That Jesus saying yes to Levi is a form of hospitality in reverse. We're supposed to be hospitable people. People making an invitation for others to come and be part of our lives. But there's another side to hospitality that Jesus is telling us exists. And that is when you're asked, say yes. When you're asked, say yes. I can honestly say that the way that the world perceives us as church is that we're the people who say no. We just are. We're the people that say, no, I am, I'm so proud of the leadership of this church for saying yes to Journey Church. Journey Church isn't like us. Their Assemblies of God, their, their services are going to be really interesting and uh, much more engaging. And they bring together a people that wouldn't come to this church. They minister to people who are what we might call unsavory. They bring people who don't necessarily fit in good Presbyterian fashion, what church looks like. Remember, we're the people that sort of stand in judgment against the people that don't fit into the culture. Because we are the culture. Or we have been. Our ministry is often learning to say yes to being in, in uncomfortable places and with uncomfortable people. If you find yourself too comfortable, you and I, if we find ourselves in a place where it's too easy, we're probably not listening to Jesus very much. And what happens when we go? Well, it creates several things. It creates mutuality. And it begins to reduce hierarchy. I've shared with you in the past um, and, and recently the comment that Millard Fuller made to our Habitat group here in Orange County. And he asked the question, do you have any poor people on your board? And the only response we had was, well, wouldn't that be a conflict of interest? Because those people, those, aren't they the ones get, that are getting the homes? And we'd have to you know, be a conflict of interest. And Miller just looked at us with some compassion and a little bit of, um, what's the right word, uh, sorrow. He kind of looked at us and went, you poor people, you don't get it. And he said, if you don't have poor people on your board, you don't understand the ministry you're doing. And you haven't been changed yet. We're intended to be changed people. And by being in places with people who are um, 
unsavory, people who make us uncomfortable, people that, and places that we are just outside our comfort zone, it creates this mutuality and it begins to reduce hierarchy because what it says is, I don't know everything. Other people might have something to give me. We were in India with our presbytery, a church I served some time ago, and uh, we were um, doing a work project. And uh, we had groups from different churches in our presbytery, maybe even somebody from here, I don't remember, but people from Trinity Press in um, Santa Ana and Tribuco and others. And we were um, building homes. And, and I remember one of the guys in the trip was an architect and, and builder. And he would look at people. They were carrying cement in these big pans. And they were these big flat pans. And it took hundreds if not thousands to pour the cement into uh, the foundation just to fill it up took all day and another day. And he just looked at it, he goes, can't we get a cement mixer somewhere and we can mix it up and pour it in? Because he thought he knew a better way to do it. And that cement mixer would have caused hundreds of people to lose their jobs. Because 60 to 70% of that country was unemployed. And every... 25 cent a day person that got to work changed their economics. We don't always have the right answers. We don't always have the right technology. We're not always the smartest people in the room. Other people can be. Scribes and the Pharisees object not merely on religious grounds, but they also reject because it threatens the status quo. It reduces their power to put people beneath them. It reduces the power of the Pharisee to be able to create the hierarchy and put people beneath them. The next story is the uninvited, unsavory guest. This woman who comes is obviously in great need. You can project what you think her her livelihood was. It doesn't say. There's an awful lot about it. I mean, we could assume that she was like little orphan Annie. She had a hard knock life. I mean, it was difficult. This is a woman in great need of forgiveness, in great need of love that didn't demand anything else from her and something she had probably never experienced in her life. She comes seeking so many things. She comes seeking perhaps acceptance. And she gets into that room and though the Pharisee doesn't acknowledge her presence or receive her, Jesus does. Kind of a strange little moment, isn't it? It's an interesting kind of hospitality. Jesus made room for this woman in another person's space. Have you ever had anybody do that? 
with you? I've experienced it a few times in my life where um, somebody in need, maybe somebody that that needed a meal or, or something else, the person I was with, not me, would invite them to come eat with us. It's like, <laughs> I was kind of hoping for a quiet meal together. I wanted to spend time with you. But they included somebody from the outside. And that's what it's like with Jesus and this Pharisee and this woman. There's somebody who has burst in and imposed themselves on a situation that you had under control. But you're not the proprietor. You're not the owner. You're not the house master of the house. But you make room for the other. That's what Jesus is doing. You may not be in charge of the context you find yourself in. You might be out to a meal with someone and somebody else needs to be invited. They need to sit down. Maybe they were excluded. Maybe they just need to be accepted. Maybe they're just needing something more and you invite them to sit with you. You don't do it. You don't have a discussion. It's an imposition. The irony of the story is she's the host of Jesus. She's the host of Jesus. She does everything that the physical host doesn't do. We know the story. We know that that people's feet were dirty and they, they reclined at tables. So their feet were really close to where they ate. So what happened when you came in? There was a servant who would wash your feet. And if not a servant, then the master of the house would wash your feet. Jesus turns the tables on his disciples and he washes their feet. But this Pharisee doesn't do it. But this woman comes in and doesn't just take a bowl. She begins to weep and weeps on Jesus' feet and dries his feet with her hair. It's overwhelming. She's not repentant when she arrives. But she is when she leaves. She anoints him, which is what you do to honored guests. And Jesus obviously is honored, but not by the physical host, but by the person in need. It does beg the question of when do we include others in our lives? When do we make room? And then there's the third story. Story of the unforgiving brother. You might call this brother the unsavory relation story. That this younger brother is an unsavory relationship. So who don't you invite to Thanksgiving? Come on. What relatives just are not welcome anymore? 
at Christmas, at a birthday? Who do you think twice when you go through the friendship list? Who don't you ask? They're an unsavory relation. I suppose we should start by noting that the scripture would say both Levi and the woman, the woman are our brother and sister. Levi and the woman in the story before, they're our brother and our sister. That's how scripture would describe them. That's how Jesus would describe them. It is the way human relationships are. They are our neighbor. They are our sibling. And what I've shared with you in the past, that there's two ways to be a prodigal. One is to waste your substance or waste your inheritance, squandering it, wasted on what uh, one translation says, loose living. There's another way to waste your inheritance, and that's to withhold it, to withhold it from others. It is something these three stories have in common. It's been the withholding of grace that is the common theme of the three people at the center of our stories. If we are all brother and sister in God's eyes, then we're also, and I'm not, I don't use the word very often, but sinners. I don't think it relates well to people under 40 in our culture. Because they equate what we've done with the word sin and sinner as church is we've made it about moral behavior. And it's not about that. It's not about whether or not I do this thing or that thing. Oh, it might be with a little S. But the big S on sin has to do with rejection of the way God's things are. It's not about whether you swear or not. That's not what we're talking about here. But we are all, in God's eyes, less than what we should be. Less than what we were made to be. And in rebellion to what we were made to be. We fail to reach the character of God in our lives. And we're loath to try. If we are brother and sister in God's eyes then the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And one is not above the other, and none is, nobody is viewed as more important than the other. The elder brother won't go into the party with his unsavory brother. Why? Is it jealousy? Who knows? The elder brother's better than that? Maybe. Maybe he wants credit for his righteousness. He simply doesn't see his own need, and so he doesn't go in. He withholds his inheritance from his brother, and the inheritance was the grace of the parent. The invitation is to those who are in need, and all of us are in need. Do you feel it? Do you know it? 
come to the table. There's room, even for you, an unsavory guest, to show up. In the kingdom of God, there are not unsavory guests. None. Just those like the woman pushed out and unwelcome in this life. And yet in the economy of Jesus, in the church, which is present in this life, the woman is intended to be welcomed in. I was, uh, I, I, I have in years past been the youngest person on staff. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, but I was, I was on staff at a church in Laguna Beach. And there's a uh, person that came up, uh, had been sleeping at the beach. It was obvious. Um, their hair was filled with sand, and they had a, a, a little Mexican blanket you get at the border with, the, the, with a hole cut out for their head, so they made it into sarape, and, um, and the person was a bit of a mess. Their eyes couldn't focus, and they were twitching and going in different directions. Obviously, this person had some uh, challenges chemically as well, and, uh, and I remember this, this woman coming to me, uh, at, older than I was, and said, Craig, could you come talk to this young man? You're, you're more like, you're closer to the same age. Like we had a lot in common, right? And, uh, and uh, it was a really interesting encounter. But, but um, there was this sense in which I thought, isn't that what we do oftentimes? We pass on the uncomfortable to the person we think can manage it. But if we don't deal with the uncomfortable ourselves, how will we ever change and become like what God intends? People that can make room for the unsavory guest. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We need to see that we're involved, not in ushering the kingdom in, that's God's work, but participating in what God's doing. So we're congruent. We look a little bit like the kingdom itself. We're welcoming. We're willing to sit and be with people we might consider unsavory. We had a person in this church a little while ago who was... um, uh, just uh, having challenges and, uh, and had a, an outburst in church last year. And I, I remember talking to the people that were sitting next to him and, and they had talked to each other, do you want to move? And the answer reply was what it should be. No. I don't want them to feel as though they're not welcome. Friends, that's how we're supposed to be. Jesus is trying to declare what he did at the beginning of Luke, and that is this is the year of Jubilee. This is the season of Jubilee. This is when the kingdom of God happens and everything gets turned around. And in the life of our church, we desperately need to have it turn around. But it doesn't happen by us being clever. It doesn't happen by us 
being people that figure out a program that hasn't been offered. It doesn't happen because we're a people that just need more money or this or that or the next thing. It happens when we behave like Jesus. Pure and simple. May God give us boldness to do just that. This is a prayer offered by Miroslav Wolf and Matthew Krosman says this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Holy Father, God, let the jubilee of our anointed and soon-to-be-enthroned Messiah come to be in our world. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us bread that is more than mere bread, but bread that invites us to be at home with our Heavenly Father, with the fields and lakes God created, and with one another. And forgive us our sins, For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Invite us to that table where all of us sinners eat side by side, forgiving and forgiven. Do not bring us to that time of trial. Spare us trial. But even then, we are ready to say we do not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from Jesus our Lord. Amen.